up, Cardboard Nation? Welcome to another episode of Go GTS Live, the Hobbies web show. Thank you for joining us this evening. I'm your host, Rob Bertrand. Joining me as always, that guy over there, Ivan Lovegren. <laughs> Ivan, what's going on, dude? He, here in spirit, if not fully in capacity. Do you have one I, of those uh, days? I literally, uh, not only one of those days, I literally just dropped my keyboard at the 10 second warning and broke it. So if tweets are a little <laughs> slow going out tonight, I apologize. The keyboard that I, that we bought um, for you, the supposedly quieter one. Yeah. The supposedly quieter one that I have to move from my desk to my lap. Cause it's still not quiet. Even All right. Quieter. We're going to have to get, we're, um, so in that transition, yes, there was a small, uh, small kerfuffle there, but Hey, that's it. I'm doing great. We've got an incredible show tonight. We've got somebody that uh, I was pressing for some personal deep answers. And then I said, hey, can we can you say that? Can you bring it on the show? And they said, yeah. So it's going to be a hot show tonight. Absolutely. Um, that said, my my kids are in a mood. So you might hear screaming in the background. You're in a mood. So you might hear screaming in the foreground from what I've heard. Um, it's going to be a show. Yeah, so let me give you guys a rundown of what we got going on tonight. Uh, DJ Kazmerzak, uh, the Vice President of Sales and Product Development at Panini America, will jo be joining us to talk about several different things, kind of a state of the hobby from DJ's standpoint. He's got a long and tenured history in the hobby for those of you who don't know them, and we'll make those introductions uh, in a little bit here. A uh, lot going on once again in hobby happenings, as you might imagine. Uh, we've got a video expose done by the LA Times on GTS customer Jaspie's uh, sports cards and collectibles in Hermosa Beach, California. We've got uh, four box breaks, including the brand new Panini Immaculate Collection Collegiate Football. So, wow, thanks, Tracy, for that hookup. But before we get started with all that, our Go GTS Live Q of the Week poll, kind of a follow-up from last week. Ivan wanted it in the form of a basketball question, so we brought it. So, bes And boy, did the media screw us not up yet. on this one. Not, not yet. Besides LeBron James, who will be the next well, no, the basketball player with a million-dollar-plus card? And your choices are Zion Williamson, Michael Jordan, Giannis, or other Right now, leading the way with 58.6% of the vote is Michael Jordan. However, would it surprise anyone that a National Treasures logo man, one of one, is currently at Golden Auctions, 17 days left to bid on it, on uh, Giannis's card is already at $660,000. So that's part of why I asked the question and included him. So with that in mind, I voted Giannis. I think that card in the current market right now will crack the million dollar mark. Uh, a lot of people say Michael Jordan, I think just because of he's the goat and all that. But uh, Ivan, how did you vote? And tell me your thoughts on the poll question. Well, yeah, so um, I did take the, the softball that was lobbed to us, not entirely by the media, um, partially by timing. Um, there's a Giannis up at auction that is widely expected to be a very huge sale. So timing-wise, we just had a PSA 10 Jordan rookie sell for 420000 Oh, excuse me, SGC 10, SGC. You, you get into habits, right? See how it happens? 
that said, there's nothing currently out there. There's no upper deck number to 23 or number to 14 Jordan that's ending soon. So that said, it seems like that Giannis is the most likely. Now, here's the big question. There was a huge article right after we talked about this last week. TMZ reported on that Giannis auction. And I've, it's kind of an interesting question um, for you, Rob, is how much impact does that have on it? Because TMZ said could go for two million well, and provided very little data to substantiate that. But it's like, what does a headline like that do to an auction? Like, should it be a one point two million dollar card or should it be a six hundred thousand dollar card? But that headline well, that, brought he- that headline was based on a, a statement. Deal by Ken Golden at Golden Auctions basically saying he thinks it has a chance and wouldn't be surprised if it broke the LeBron, the price for the LeBron card, putting it in the close enough to $2 million range that you can put that in a headline. Um, But TMZ has actually reported... (laughs) That's much different than a headline, (laughs) the way it could maybe possibly might, you know, in such a way that it could get close to, you know, that's all I'm saying. TMZ has reported on several of these high profile cards. It's not like this is the first time, but I definitely think they took some liberties with the valuation. But like you said, that was based on, you know, some sentiments by golden auctions. So so they added, you know, a hundred grand to it. I mean, really big deal. You know, two two million dollars sounds way cooler in a headline than one point nine. So I get it. Do I think it affects the valuation or what it'll sell for? I really, really don't. The people in the know and that want to be in the know right now uh, that are in a market for something like that, they know what's going on. You know, that does that card doesn't need to be a headline on TMZ Sports for it to, um, in my opinion, gain traction and momentum. And it'll be really interesting to see where it does finish but my money's on it breaking the million dollar mark and so we want to know from you if you haven't voted already um do you agree with ivan and i with the fact that with this card being where it is right now will giannis or will there be a michael jordan that somehow pops up and sells before this auction and 58.7 percent of you pretty entrenched on Jordan. Uh, we did get about 7.2% for well, other I, and most recently being Kobe. Yeah. So that that's one that I did want to touch on, you know, so again, the challenge with a t- poll like this is simply the timing. We know that Giannis is at, uh, at auction right now. Um, Kobe was one response. Another very interesting response two minutes ago, just came in from stalking PMS, Bill Russell, there are three PSA nines and no tens of his rookie. That's a million dollar card now, is what the tweet says. So there is possibly quite a few more million dollar cards out there, which I think is very interesting. And I'd love to know more that you that you think that like I just learned something. You know, I, I had no idea of the pop report of that card. Um, you know, what else could there be out there that maybe if this Giannis doesn't hit it? shows up in the next month yeah. or two. You know, was there anything that you were surprised wasn't mentioned? Uh, no, but I, I was amazed at the amount of people who um, obviously didn't seem to read the entire question because we got answers like Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, uh, Tua, Roll Tide. Um, okay. 
uh, <laughs> Dick Groat. <laughs> so, but hey, in the Twitch, somebody did say that uh, they're ace in the hole. All right, fair Lugor. enough. I can get so that. Uh, if you haven't weighed in, please do so. And there is a reason that you're going to want to uh, tap into that poll tonight, other than just making your voice heard. It also is important in how we will pick winners from tonight's box breaks. Ivan? Yeah, so make sure that you go to twitter.com slash live to vote in the poll and click follow while you're there. Because when we draw winners for the box breaks, it's going to be from uh, Twitter engagements. So twitter.com slash live is your home during this show. Um, make sure that, that uh, you follow us there. Make sure you engage with us there. Use the poll as a test engagement. Um, there is one other way, though, that you could engage with us that's pretty freaking awesome. If you have an Android phone, and very soon for those of you with uh, Apple phones, you can download the GoGTS Live We app have an app? In the Android store. We- yep. Yeah, we have an app. And so you can do all of this bouncing back and forth between watching the show and voting and retweeting on and watching the show all in one app. So that can make it a lot easier if you're also trying to catch the flyers at Islanders or, you know, tweet about Mexican pizza or whatever's trending while watching the show. You can do it all in one. Speaking place. of Islanders flyers, I know we have a couple of loyal viewers um, who are certainly hoping the, the Islanders Either win, and you know who you are. But uh, we'll table that we for now because we are going to bring in the our guest, the one and only DJ Kazmerzak, <laughs> Vice President of Sales and Product Development at Panini America. DJ, hey, thanks for taking some time out of your evening to join us tonight, man. What's up, fellas? Hey, we're doing good. We're doing good. We're just, uh, you know, it's another week of the show, and it seems like there's a ton of stuff always going on. We are just talking about the possibility of that uh, Giannis National Treasures 101 logo man possibly breaking the LeBron exquisite record. How much would you guys at Panini love to see that? Uh, It's funny. We we were talking about that um, this week. I mean, any... Right now, any publicity uh, along those lines for the industry is great, but uh, it, it, it baffles us that a card so relatively new could even, you know, be considered to go off for that kind of price. So pretty amazing. Absolutely. Well, you know, for those who may not be familiar with your extensive background in the hobby, and I mean, it goes way back. Can can you give us some <laughs> details on, you know, kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, translated that means I'm old, but that that's cool. Seasoned. <laughs> no, I will. Yeah, no, it's uh, and I and I'm coming to you from outdoors in Texas. It's actually not a hundred degrees here anymore, but um, beautiful. I, I, yeah, I, I got I got into the industry in, in the early '90s, and I got into it. I was in sports television in in North Carolina, in the town that I grew up in, and. And I was doing sports uh, reporting and producing um, on on TV. I had hair then and everything. And <laughs> but you know I was a collector as a kid. And and there was a, a relatively new company um, in Durham, North Carolina, right next to Raleigh, where I was called Impel Marketing, which eventually became Skybox. 
Sure. Uh, and I started doing some freelance work for them because they didn't have anybody that knew really anything about trading cards. And they just got an NFL license. That was back in the day when licensors would just hand out they licenses, were just handing right? them out, I know. <laughs> like, like, like candy. So that, that's how I got in. And then uh, within a couple years of joining Skybox, Marvel purchased Skybox to go with the Fleer Company, which was based in Philadelphia area, uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey. So I moved up there. And the only reason I moved up there is because I was actually born in Wrightstown, New Jersey at Fort Dix when my dad was doing his Air Force ROTC requirements. So I went back and I worked there for a while. I was in product development in those days. And for about five years, I was in product development. And right around 2000, Roger Grass bought the Fleer Company. Everybody around here probably has heard of Roger Grass and all that. And he he decided to go around the building and reevaluate personnel. And he determined that, um, that I was pretty good with, with people and and good with um, speaking. And so he pulled me out of product development, put me in the, in the hobby sales, if you will, at the time. And then, you know, from there it's been, uh, I went back and got a a master's degree in business administration because quite frankly, as an undergrad, I just did TV stuff. And uh, and then I worked for Press Pass for a number of years in Charlotte, and I joined Panini in August of twelve, and I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina, out here to the Dallas Fort Worth area. I actually live in McKinney, which is about thirty miles north of Dallas, so I'm in a suburb. But that that's it. So my so my background is product development slash sales. And when I came to Panini in August of twelve, I was strictly the VP of sales. In August of fifteen. We restructured and I became the vice president of sales and product development. And what's important about that, and I'll wrap this up because I know you got other questions. What's important about that is typically in a business organization, sales and product development usually wrestle, right? Because sales <laughs> sure. sales wants more stuff. Pete, product development's like, no, we don't have enough assets. So in our situation now, um, I'm sort of the referee of both groups, and it's my job to make sure that we somehow come to a peaceful resolution. So it works really, really well for our company. That's great. So, so I, historically, second, Ivan. Oh, I want to back up. You kind of glossed over press pass just a little bit. Yep. And I think there's an important thing that people um, probably don't know and should know because you were so such an integral part of something that's an absolute staple in the hobby today. And that was game used memorabilia, but this was race used memorabilia. And it's a question that we ask trivia question at the national every year, who, which company first came out with game used, you know, material and nobody guesses press pass. But it was actually you guys, and you came up with the idea. Well, um, yeah, Victor Schaefer, I think, actually probably came up with the idea along with Bob Bovey. Uh, All right. right. It's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where um, uh, it's sort of a shared, um, you know, responsibility or, or, uh, or credit. uh, Yeah, Yeah, right. So um, the other thing that's important about Press Pass. Besides that, because that is important and, and that is a good trivia question. I've heard it before. Nobody would ever imagine because it was a small, <laughs> a small, a small company in Charlotte. But what's important about Press Pass, here, here's here's some, some trivia for you guys. So through the years, we've had these 
massive companies, Upper Deck, you know, Tops at one point had all these licenses and all that stuff, right? And now the industry has realigned itself very differently. But if you go back and you look now at who are who are some people in critical, important decisions at companies, you got Nick Mativich, who's with us, who was a brand guy at Press Pass. You got Tom Farrell, who's with Upper Deck now, yep. who, who was with us at Press Pass. And you got Kevin O'Neill, who's with Tops, who was at Press Pass. <laughs> we all work together at the same time. And I don't know that everybody really realizes that, but um, it's amazing how we've all stayed in the industry while some other heavy hitters have exited. So just a little more trivia, if you will. I like it. Ivan, go ahead. Sorry. I well, I was going to ask the same much. thing with all of that history. You know, it's like it's a great resume. Um, in addition to the game used memorabilia innovation, though, what else from your history really stands out on the product side? Um, just when you look back, like let's let's just get okay. a little bit of that for the hobby. And and, and and Rob's known me for a long time, so he knows I'm very direct, honest. Mm -hmm. I, in other words, I don't. I'm going to answer your questions and I'm going to answer them honestly. And some people may roll their eyes and go, wow, he's kind of cocky or whatever. It's I'm just being honest with you. I'll tell you what the thing is probably for me is, is, is important or that I get a kick out of that most people would never realize. And I'm telling you, the company would never give me credit, but I'm the brand manager that created Fleer Tradition Baseball in uh -huh. 2000, 1999, 2000, which really, established tops heritage because they reacted to yeah. us knocking off their 54 design with Fleer tradition. So <laughs> I, I sort of indirectly, and I used to work with clay at Fleer a long, long time ago, clay Lorasky, uh, sure. VP of product development at tops, but I sort of indirectly claim responsibility for creating Tops Heritage Baseball. Uh, I love. I <laughs> so love how's that for a bold statement? How's that yeah, that bold is statement? bold. I mean, I love Fleer Tradition. I've got you know sets up in my closet right there that I worked my butt off to put together. Yeah. Um, you know something else from your press pass days. Uh, on card isn't hard. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. I still have that shirt. You know when you when you when you're a small company, you gotta try a little harder and you know that was one of those things where we were like yeah they're all hand side right now that's virtually impossible yeah it sounded good at the time <laughs> well so so taking that that um i mean it was kind of a throwaway statement but it's it's virtually impossible to have every autograph on card when you're dealing with nfl rookies nba rookies the demand out there um, but also getting back to innovation and product, um, you know, we the talk this year has been about how ink and paper assets, things that have technology or parallels or unnumbered case hits are really driving demand again. Um, now, as a product manager or as, as a head of product, um, was this intentional? Was there a byproduct of increased demand or did you sort of see a, a moment where demand was happening for those and just jump into it? Two of the first, the first two of the three, uh, we definitely, it was intentional um, because you're getting to the point. Let me, let me give you a, a number that'll probably blow your mind. Um, it blows mine. We run 7 million autographs a year through our organization. 7 million. <laughs> right. So you get, you get to the point where you've got just giant scope of, of, you know, of, of things going on. And so we, we kept looking at, because let's face it, players, Contracts have changed, their commitment to um, their time commitments. Now with coronavirus, it's even crazier. And 
And so we getting more autographs is problematic, right? I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's problematic. Um, and so we were looking at other ways um, to try to extend print runs or create, you know, some value without having an autograph, if you will. So it was intentional. How it's taken off, I, I don't know that we anybody could have predicted that. Uh, we, we hoped it would happen, but I'd be lying if I said I thought we would be. It would be as big a deal as it is now. That's humble for you, DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. <laughs> uh, I was thinking you were going to say that was my plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was Nick's plan all along. Nick's plan. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that has been a byproduct of just this ridiculous demand has been um, issues related at big box stores. Retail yep. hoarding is kind of what we've called it here on the show. And I get it that there's only so much Panini can can do. But knowing that retail has always been viewed as kind of the entry-level gateway to bring more people into the hobby – What's ended up happening is that product, instead of ending up in more hands, is ending up in less hands. Yeah. What can you talk a little bit about that and what you guys have been able to do, if anything? Yeah, um, and and it's believe me, it's a uh, concern is not the right word. I'm I'm obviously we're watching it and we're trying to um, address it because to ignore it is not the right response. Um, clearly. We can't control what happens in an aisle in Target and Walmart. That's up to Target and Walmart, how they want to manage those spaces. They have both made it very clear that they do not want to inconvenience or impact the customer buying experience by limiting purchases per visit. Now, there have been some individual stores where the manager has made that decision. Um, they've, you've seen some postings on Twitter where people show a sign. But that is a manager's decision, and once it is discovered, if you will, by corporate – they are asked not to do it again because corporate does not want them to do that. So anyway, um, so clearly now, three months ago, we started to see it, but it wasn't like it is now. And, and there's a variety of factors now, right? You've got work at home or, or furloughed or you know, just more people have time to go sit in a Walmart and Target and wait for a service rep to come into the store and service the store and then buy everything. Um, obviously, resale values, you guys touched upon that, has gone into retail and it's just as crazy in retail as it is in hobbies. So you, you can go buy $500 worth of stuff if you buy out the store and you go home and sell it for 1500 bucks and you just made a thousand bucks for a couple hours work, right? Something like that. So. We, yeah, this is the thing I talked to the sales team about the most, you know, and I've said to them, I said, it's, there's no easy answer, but we've got to try to come up with some solution. So I'll tell you what we're thinking about doing. We don't have it completely flushed out yet because clearly we're looking at the upcoming holiday season, right? Sure. Got moms, dads, grandparents, et cetera, trying to buy presents. And it's like, well, how's that going to go with what's going on? So we're trying to work a, pro, a, a program through hobby shops. Um, and what we've got to, what we've got to nail down is how we're going to govern it, right? How we're going to manage it. Cause you don't have a program if you can't enforce the rules, if you, so to speak. So we'd like to sell retail product into hobby shops that would then be resold. There'd be some sort of qualification proof that it's for, a, a you know, a 
a casual consumer, a, a kid under 12. I don't know. We're still trying to figure that out. But I can, we can control the hobby shop experience and distribution a lot easier than we can the big box. So that's what we're going to try to do. <laughs> Again, Courtney Hetty, who heads up, heads up our direct accounts, uh, along with Kevin Hake, who many of you guys are familiar with. I think he's been on the show. They're still trying to figure that out because we've got to figure out how do we enforce it. Wrong word, but how do we manage it? Sure. Absolutely. You know, Ivan and I had conversations about this, you know, in, in coming up with some ideas about what, what yeah. could be done. And Ivan actually, you know, was the one that said, well, what about the value equation? When you look at what you're getting for the cost at retail, is there been, has there been any internal discussions about raising retail prices or is big box just going to be like, yeah, no, you can't do that. The answer is yes. And then the second answer to what you just said is that is a challenge. Um, we have talked about that because clearly you guys all know that we've done that in the hobby channel. We, we call it dynamic pricing, whatever you want to call. And, you know, there's a lot of money in play in the secondary market. And for a long time, we left that, that, that margin alone. And then it, it just got to be so large that we said we, we have to participate. We owe it to our licensors and our business partners. And we owe it to ourselves, quite frankly, because we're building the product. So the answer, Rob, is yeah, we're trying to figure that out. We've talked to, just to go back to this, we've talked to both MJH and Excel, MJH services, uh, the Walmart the stores, and then Excel marketing in Des Moines, Iowa services target. We've talked to them whenever we've seen any crazy stuff on Twitter, like somebody says, hey, I just encountered a rep, and they were texting somebody to come in and buy product. We've actually had a couple reps removed once we could demonstrate because somebody was able to get some video or something that it did happen. And so we have we have done some things to try to combat it. And listen, MJH and Excel understand what a big challenge it is, right? Because oh, of course. What, when all this dies down, this hobby furor, and it's when it dies down, the hobby's going to be bigger than it was before the furor, but it's got to slow down some. But when it does, you know, you we want that core collector to still be around. And, and at this point, I feel like there is some frustration starting to creep in. I see it on social media. I try to interact with people. Sometimes it goes okay. Sometimes it doesn't. But I mean, <laughs> you know. I'm trying to, I I empathize with what's going on. Obviously my job, our job is to maximize sales, push the envelope. That's how you run a business. But I do recognize at the same time that right now this market can be incredibly frustrating to somebody who just wants to buy a $20 box blaster. Well, so part, part of, um, really it was our next question, but it also comes back to this. Um, we know that demand is increasing And so, you know, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about what Panini is thinking about and the internal dialogue about increasing production runs versus creating, you know, uh, going beyond demand and creating a bubble. Um, But I going back, uh, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily saying raise prices on retail. Part of it is that the like you were getting at least one, if not two silver prism rookies per blaster of prism. So it's not necessarily that the that the price should be raised, but the price for the value is kind of crazy. Has is there any talk of essentially watering down retail the way that it originally was watered down, quote unquote, to be an entry level into the product into the hobby? 
that that is one scenario we've talked about. We would not do that across the portfolio. I, I just that's not going to work for for me. We might look at a product that we might do that, but that completely defeats the purpose. I think of what of what we're trying to do. I mean, this is just one of those things where for five years we've worked very hard to build a very strong brand portfolio. We've done things like embrace. Uh, case breaking. We were the first company that actually, you know, embraced case breaking. And I know a lot of people think that right now all we do is sell product to case breakers. First of all, I want to clear up the fact we do not sell direct to case breakers. We don't. You have to have a brick and mortar store to buy direct from us. That's a policy that's been in place since I walked in the door and it's still a policy. Um, clearly, we sell product to distributors who distribute and that's where case breakers acquire product. But my point is, is that, no, I, I, I don't, it, it's it's almost um, counterintuitive if you tell a brand guy to build a brand and dilute dilute it or water it down. It just doesn't work. It's like asking, you know, an athlete not to play his hardest. It just doesn't work. So, um, uh, you know, there has been some adjustment to to go back to the beginning of the question in terms of looking at. Um, uh, production runs and stuff. I'll give you a number. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. Blue mind. A year ago, August of 2019, for the month of August 2019 in Walmart, through the Walmart registers, Panini America sold $2 million worth of sports trading card products. Okay, so that's blended stuff. So a year ago, this August, the, the month that just finished, $15 million. So 15 million versus 2 million. Wow. Now, now you guys know the prices are still the same. So what does that tell you about production? It's had to go up. It had to go up. Well, that's, and, and that's it. Obviously the, the urge to increase production runs is gotta be, you know, an ongoing dialogue internally. So how do you balance overwhelming demand with the need for maintaining collectability and yet at the same time making the home office in Italy happy with profitability. I mean, that's a, that's a tricky equation, isn't it? This whole business is tricky, which is why sometimes I laugh when I see some of the posts or criticism and things from so-called expert on experts on social media because they really have no clue how this business really works. And, and, and so, yes, it, it's difficult. It's obviously the old adage of um, you can say if you have 10,000 people that want something and you make, you know, 909,999, you're good because you're one short. Whereas if you only make two of something, but only one person wants it, <laughs> you've made one too many. So you got, <laughs> you got, you know, 10,000 versus two. But I mean, so it's perception. This, this business is always about managing perception. That's, that's what I, uh, I talk to my team about all the time. And that's why this, this juncture that we're in right now, we're really managing perception because about two months ago, everything was good because everything, the business was hot. And people are excited. Now it's kind of tipped almost too far over into the positive side where people are getting frustrated, which you don't want. So, yeah, we're at a critical point of trying to how to figure out how to manage that. But, of course, we're, we've been trying very hard to bring our production uh, up to the demand. You know, we've created all kinds of things from hobby hybrid programs to mega boxes and and you name it that's all a result of that we're selling retail product now into the hobby channel we never used to do that so it's because we can't produce any more hobby product because it's so autograph intensive so yeah it's it's a difficult juggling act there's no question about it 
So seven million Lamelo Ball autographs <laughs> next year, and then everybody else too. <laughs> and then everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you though. That's a really, really good insight. Um, and I know it's it's. You mentioned the social media <laughs> earlier and how it doesn't always go well there. You know, I see a lot of people that do throw out assumptions, and it's like I, I've I've never once had a conversation with you, with Kevin, with Tracy, or name anybody from the other companies mm-hmm. where they want to create a bubble. You know, nobody wants that. You know, you, you're you're not retiring tomorrow, are you? Right? You, no, no, no. And, and it's funny. This industry has always been very um, transparent, right? I mean, it's funny. I, I I've been telling a couple people lately who I've seen, um, you know, outside of work, and and they say, "How are things going?" And I go, "They're going great." I said, "But you know, it's funny. My challenges now are coming from from positive stuff." And they say, well, "You know." Um, what do you mean? And I say, well, I've got people just, you know, coming at me <laughs> and, and and getting mad at me because, you know, they, they can't get access to product or there's not enough product or we're trying to ruin the industry because we changed our pricing. And, uh, you know, and the thing is, I always say, well, when you went to the pizza shop the other night and you ordered your pizza and you ordered your Coke and your Coke was flat. Do you call the vice president of sales of Coca-Cola up to complain your Coke was flat? I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that's, it's funny. And it's sort of like. Or maybe today we should you, be doing that. Maybe you maybe. should be doing that. But like today when you guys posted, you guys posted, you know, in an hour, we're coming back on. And, and, a, and a gentleman said something about, you know, why do we call it a Dutch auction instead of a reverse auction? It's semantics. It, you could call it either one. We've chosen to call it a Dutch auction. And I'm like, is that what you guys really want to ask me? I, I control the, the product, the brand team and the sales team. And you want to ask me about why we named an auction that I'm just saying there's sometimes I just sit there and go, I don't know if we can win. <laughs> and sometimes you can't. Hey, listen, yeah. you mentioned 7 million autographs. So let's mm-hmm. let's go back to acquiring physical assets, yeah, like yeah. autographs and memorabilia. How have you guys been able to acquire these things amidst the pandemic without events that you guys have relied on, like the NFL rookie premiere, the NBA photo shoot? So, you know, it's obviously been very different. Um, You know, I got to give a shout out to Brian Bain and his team, our acquisitions team. Um, They've they've made it work. I will tell you, there's a benefit. There's a pro and a con to it. All right. But the, the con is still that players are reluctant to sign a lot of autographs. That will always be a challenge. Um, the pro is, is that because they, for a long time, weren't playing and therefore weren't earning their salaries, they were more, uh, they were more, uh, enthused about signing their cards. So what we did was because clearly there was like every place in the country, we had different, uh, quarantine rules and things like that. Once we were able to bring a small percentage of people back into the office, the people we brought back in were acquisitions, people who, who uh, received things and worked them through the system and then also send autograph cards out to players. But uh, it, it's actually gone quite well. We're starting to run into a little bit of a backup now in the NBA bubble simply because of where we are in the playoffs. Um, sure. But I would tell you that things have been pretty good, and it's just because you got to find a way. It's one of those things where the opportunity was so great, the business was so strong, and we could see the sales opportunity, and we just found a way. But Brian and his team have just been done incredible things. 
thought outside of the box and it's all about relationships. They've had to spend a lot of time on the phone and shipments have gone to one place and had to have been rerouted and, and things like that. But we've just made it happen. But players have been much more receptive to signing when they weren't uh, earning their regular paycheck. That helps. Yeah, um, well, DJ, I'm going to get us in trouble here because I do have an off the cuff question, um, but it just came no. in that, and it's so good. And I, I'm just very personally curious because I, I don't think it's offensive, <laughs> but um, not to throw a competitor out there, but Tops has done a few things. They've done the Montgomery Club membership yep. that allows yep. some people exclusive access or at least early access to some of these super in demand products. Yep. And then they've done the collector box recently, which is lower end products. But, you know, it's like every month you get something. Yep. Um, have there, be, you know, would you be in favor of that? Is there any thought of that at Panini so that somebody could just at least subscribe and know that they're going to get some wax this month? Uh, the answer is yes. I think Courtney is is watching the show. I, I think my team said some of them are going to watch. And we have we have talked about that. And we you know, in this industry, a good idea usually gets borrowed and, and improved upon or at least tried by someone else. So we obviously saw the, the, the tops. Yeah, we saw the tops idea. Um, and and I, I like it. And again, it's one of those things we're trying to figure out. We're we're working on a um, um, it's a, the working name of it now is like a kid kids collectors club. Um, and Courtney is, is heading that up. So, I mean. Yes, we're the, the challenge is, is that we just really started looking at it in the last month because of what's happened. So we're a little bit behind in terms of that. It's not really something that, quite honestly, I ever thought we'd have to consider doing. But clearly now we have to react to the way the market is. We have to be able to supply some product at a reasonable price, an entry price to get some new collectors in and or keep younger collectors enthused about what's going on. We don't want to lose that passion. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear more about that and how that fleshes out and yep. gets developed. Um, we've kept you already longer than um, I said we would. So let's wrap up with a couple of quick <laughs> questions. <laughs> what products have you been personally surprised by their overwhelming success and the subsequent increases on the secondary market? What used to be known as base brands. So you're talking about Score, Donruss, and Hoops. I mean, mm -hmm. the Donruss football just released, and it's you know three to four times what its wholesale price is. I just every time I think you know something's going to come out and be somewhat normal, um, it's not. So I would tell you that that's the level. It doesn't surprise me when the higher end stuff goes for a much higher premium, if you will. That doesn't surprise me at all. We've seen that before. But when you just see regular entry level cards um, like hoops, you know, the it go for three and four times what they typically go for. That's still something that I just can't wrap my head around. I'm happy about it, um, but I still can't wrap my head around it. Well, it's nice to know that we're not the only ones that can't wrap our head around it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And last question. What yep. products are still on the calendar that you're really looking forward to seeing collector reaction and market impact? Oh, there's a few of them. Um, uh, Mosaic Football, which is about to release pretty soon. Um, we've got another product. I actually got a tweet tonight. Uh, Andrew Brotherton reached out and said he heard a rumor we were going to do a uh, an, another version of hoops and he's right uh oh hoops wow pre hoops premium stock which will be printed on a uh on, on a higher end uh, foil if you will and updated photography to reflect some team changes and things like that 
Hopefully, I'm not letting too many cats out of the bag. And then uh, I love cats out of the bag. You heard it here first on Go GTS Live. And then Prism, <laughs> and then Prism EPL Soccer, uh, which releases Ooh. towards December. So yeah, those those are just a few. I'm looking forward to that. I've been on the soccer train for a while. We've got a, a local team here in LA. I've been following for a few years, and it's been really exciting to see soccer in general take off. Except I am one of those collectors. I cannot find Chronicles at retail. <laughs> I know. And, and, one, and, one, and one other mention, because I haven't really had a chance to talk about it, and I just want to say it, but National Treasures is coming back to NASCAR. Oh, all right. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. And I know we have a handful of viewers in particular who will be really excited about that, including uh, Paps Beer Guy, who has <laughs> wrote some of our Future Watch uh, profiles for drivers like Brittany Zamora, Hallie Deegan, and many others you can read on GoGTS.net. So very cool. Well, DJ, thanks so much for your time. Um, you are always a straight shooter, and we always uh, kind of appreciate that fact. And uh, I know it's after hours for you, so we'll let you get back to things. But uh, if you ever want to do this again, it, you have an open invitation. 10-4. Appreciate it. No, very good. Great questions, too. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Take Thank care, you. DJ. Good night. Uh, good night. DJ Kazmerzak, VP Kazmerzak. of sales and VP of sales and product development at Panini America. He's been around a long time. He knows what he's talking about. Absolutely great stuff, Ivan. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, huge thank you, DJ, for coming on, for fielding questions. You know, I know that everybody always has their thing. At the same time, you know, it's like getting willingness to answer any of those questions is so helpful. I'm frustrated with retail. I'm frustrated I didn't find any Chronicle soccer. Um, you know, so to at least actually have him say, um, and it started out through a Twitter conversation, so you can find him on Twitter, DJ Kazmerzak. I'll let you figure out how to spell it. I can't. Um, but a Twitter conversation directly where he said, hey, here's some of the steps we're taking with retail. And yeah, if people see that, if people see you know, a, a rep who is working with people, you know, behind the scenes, please let us know. We don't want that. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see that they take actual steps. Um, and that, you know, they're not just sitting on a mountain, just, you know, Mr. Burnsing it. They're, they're real humans and real people trying to figure out what the right next step is. For Absolutely. All right. Well, we have some other stuff to talk about in the hobby uh, with a look at this week's news, notes, and nuggets in a segment we like to call Hobby Happenings. So let's dive right into that. Well, as we've discussed on the show, one of the most, uh, one of the fastest growing aspects from a business side of the hobby in recent years has been the increased interest in fractional share investing in tangible assets. Well, now Altlin Insights describes itself as the leading community for fractional share alternative asset investing. Despite the practice still being in its infancy, however, Alton reports that fractional share investing uh, has seen double-digit returns across the board dominated by sports card and memorabilia with a 74.5% return on investment from initial offering something we'll keep an eye on and even to talk about later in this segment. If you've ever wondered whether being nominated to the Baseball Hall of Fame is as big a deal to the inductees as it is to us collectors, we'll look no further than Larry Walker. 
the five-time All-Star and three-time batting champ and soon-to-be Hall of Famer, has an exclusive autograph deal with TriStar. The two parties recently concluded their first signing, and as it turns out, Walker insisted on signing the full 2020 on all his items. Very cool. I know collectors will appreciate that. And in a follow-up to a story we reported on a couple of weeks ago, Sports Collectors Daily is reporting that Basketball Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas has been reunited with his 1984 NBA All-Star Game MVP trophy, which was one of several items stolen from his former high school's trophy case uh, in recent years. That's very good for Isaiah. Also, a quick reminder that now through September 8th, Upper Deck will donate 50% of the sale proceeds from the Tiger Woods Authentic Collection to the Tiger Woods Foundation. Go behind the scenes with Tiger and help support positive change through the uh, Tiger Woods Foundation. Watch this. What's important is that everyone who goes onto Upper Deck and, and wants a, a piece, you know that it's done by that particular athlete. We know that all these pieces are, are my signatures, and they're pretty unique pieces too. I mean, some of the most iconic pictures I've ever, ever taken. This was a, the putt in 08 to try and get into a playoff with Rocco, and I was able to make it. One of the things I remember from this is screaming, because I've never done that before. This is a, a first that I've ever screamed at the sky like this. Incredible Masters moment at 13, trying to hit a, a bunker shot there from the left bunker. Unfortunately, I put it there. I did not get this one up and down. <laughs> this is where I won my 80th event on tour. That's a pretty special moment. 80 is a big number. You're, you're getting into territory that, in numbers that people never thought were possible. 80, 80 was a big number, and it still is. It was the first time I ever competed in Mexico, so this was a lot of fun for me and uh, on a pretty tough track. Be able to, to sign and have all of these pieces authenticated, that's the most important part is that there are so many forgeries out there in, in the marketplace and to know that these are my signatures on, on these pieces, that's what's in, is important. Well, you might remember a few months back, we told you about the initial Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame coin. Well, as a follow-up to that, the U.S. Mint has just released these new colorized clad half dollars and silver dollars with special PCGS coin labels designed for these obviously eye-catching coins. Well, they're now available on the U.S. Mint website with the half-dollar coin starting at $55 and the full-dollar version costing $95 if you're interested. We promised you updates, and we have a quick one. A few weeks ago, we told you about a new exclusive content marketing partnership between Panini America and the Draft Network, and we're now starting to see what some of that content will entail, with several of the network's shows being sponsored by Panini with prominent visual placement, host mentions, and more. So follow on Twitter at The Draft Network for all your NFL draft, prospect, and rookie analysis this season. Well, he may be retired, 
but Michael Jordan is still breaking records. Yes, this past weekend, this very 1986-87 Fleer Jordan rookie card graded in an SGC pristine sold for a staggering $420,000. What's even more amazing was that the card was raw when submitted by the consigner. Wow. So SGC took the opportunity to slam some of its haters, and I really like it. Check this out. In other exciting auction news, we have a couple of updates on recent sales from the well-publicized Uncle Jimmy Uncle collection. Uncle Jimmy! Uncle Jimmy. Not your uncle, not my uncle, but he is someone's Uncle Jimmy. This Babe Ruth autographed 1933 Gaudi card sold for $324,500. And this Lou Gehrig signed 1934 Gaudi sold for $206,500. It's amazing to think that these two gigantic sales <laughs> represent just a very small fraction of the collection still to hit the no market. Doubt. Well, the founder and CEO of the Mile High Card Company, Brian Dent, was recently featured in a local Colorado newscast. Watch this. We have a bit of extra time on our hands during this pandemic when we aren't able to do some of the things that we used to love to do. Some have picked up an old hobby. Here's Byron Reed. All of this is full of cards. For CEO Brian Drent. Uh, everything's vintage in here, too. Collecting sports memorabilia started when he was a teenager. You know, it kind of started out just from setting up at small baseball card shows in high school, then throughout college. This is a 1968 Mickey Mantle game-used jersey. Drent is the founder and CEO of Mile High Card Company. It's the 1909 T206 Honus Wagner card. A group that and sells high-grade vintage sports relics. I played sports growing up, so it's really my passion, and it's great to be able to do what you love to do every day. His Castle Pines-based company hosts auctions four times a year, including an auction that wraps up this week. Drent says it's their largest auction to date. We're seeing at least double the, uh, the amount of interest, the amount of bids in our auction. He says business has been booming for the past few months. I've never seen it quite like this. Since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, creating record-breaking bids for sports collectibles. Within the past couple of weeks, we just saw a Mike Trout card sell for $3.9 million. They have connectivity through their phone, through their iPad, through their laptop, and they've refound their collections. Collectors like Denver's Marshall Fogle. It's like Babe Ruth's bat. 
Lou Gehrig Spath, who's been collecting rare sports memorabilia for the past 30 years. There's items you can enjoy because it's a collectible and, you're, you know, it's a profitable venture as well. Both agree people are possibly looking for more ways to collect sports items. This is a Michael Jordan game-used jersey. During a time when passions can become so much more than hobbies. Those are now tangible assets, so we're seeing a, a surge in interest as well as the prices. For next... I'm Byron Reed. Well, the highly popular Topps Project 2020 has reached the halfway mark with 200 of the 400 cards slated for production this year out to date. Here's a look at the top 10 print runs from the project. Starting off with the number 10 spot is JK5's version of Mariano Rivera with 35,330 copies sold. And coming in at number nine is the only artist with two cards in the top ten, this one being his Cal Ripken Jr. piece with 36,466 copies, the one and only Ben Baller. At number eight is another Ripken card, this one done by Don C., featuring the Iron Man and selling 41,392 copies. Old Man Allen checks in at number seven with the first vintage card on the list, and it's none other than Ted Williams, the splinted splinter himself, racking up 41,407 copies sold. At number six is Naturell's take on Dodgers pitching ace Sandy Koufax with 43,147 copies sold. The captain, Derek Jeter, goes back-to-back with this piece by Gregory Siff with 48,465. And that's followed at number four with Ben Baller's second card on the list with a huge jump in sales volume up to 64,000. And 88. Okay, and taking third place is Joshua Vitas's and his Nolan Ryan tribute with 64,629 copies sold. And former guest of the show and friend to us and many collectors, Blake Jameson cruises into second place with his beautiful Mike Trout card, which garnered sales totaling 74,862 copies. Also in collaboration with, you guessed it, Ben Baller. But the first half winner of Topps Project 2020 sales, and I will never, ever, 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 ever understand why, is this rendition of Ken Griffey Jr.'s Topps rookie card done by Ken Shore, which sold an astonishing 99,177 copies. Can... Can you help me at all understand this, Ivan? It was Memorial Day, 2020. The Friday before, the internet was rife with articles saying how you can make a 1,000% return in baseball cards by Project 2020. Okay. That's what it comes down to. All right, well, thank you for that. We've talked about some high-profile auction results for sports cards, but we would be remiss if we didn't note the sale of this gem. This is the only known home white jersey that Hall of Fame pitcher Sandy Koufax is known to have worn at Ebbets Field. 
Very cool. Uh, worth noting, Sandy Koufax is available as one of this uh, today's Project 2020 players. <laughs> you can still get his card. This jersey, however, sold through Heritage Auctions for a world record $750,000. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't dive too deep into what clarified it as a world record. I think it has to be a world record for a Sandy Koufax jersey. Um, also, uh, just a quick reminder, um, we talked about Panini and what they're doing for collectors, and we skipped over in our interview earlier this really cool promotion they do every year the panini nfl player of the day promotion is currently underway at 630 plus hobby shops across the united states of america you can find a participating store by visiting the hobby shop locator at www.paninipod.com player of day.com very easy Well, we started our hobby happening segment this week, kicking it off with yet more talk about the hobby as an investment and sports cards as a tangible asset class. But when an operating partner at Bain Capital named Darren Herman publicly weighs in on the subject with the posting of a detailed article with his own ventures into the sports card market, it's sure to get mainstream attention. He even used this graphic from Daily FX to illustrate the current state of the bull market and how we got here. And as you follow from the start of the cycle with accumulation, which is where early adopters start buying, to trend emergence, to where we are currently and are have just lived through this summer with things like FOMO and euphoria, you see that we've already moved well past the pictured endpoint and the market continues to rise. Obviously, this raises the real question, how long can this last? And the answer, honestly, is really anybody's guess. I highly encourage you to give Darren a follow on Twitter at dherman76 and read the article for yourself on medium.com. So, It also seems appropriate then that we leave you with this note. Collectible App, who's been ramping up for its own fractional shares program, announced that its first offering will be live next Thursday, September 9th. More details to come, so we'll obviously we'll have more news to discuss about this topic on next week's show. And that's a look at this week's hobby happenings. I, yeah, I know. Every so week, it seems. It's like, wow, there's so much going on. Oh. That's crazy. I like I like. there's a comment in the chat that I like that I think uh, sums up a lot of it, which is uh, NJ Sensation, uh, who we've known for years. Great to see you watching again today, Justin. Um, says, but I guess there are more rich people out there than I thought. And this has been one of my talking points for a long time um, since I shifted careers. And actually, even before that, with with um, when I was in the film industry, you know, people don't realize how big 5000 Walmarts and 5000 Targets actually is like do the math on that across the retail blasters, the retail mega boxes 
add that to Panini just said, you know, 630 hobby shops participating in National uh, Player of the Day. And I saw a hobby shop owner in the chat saying, well, wait, how do I get in on this? Like Panini doesn't sell direct to me. There's so many people that aren't in those programs. Like it's an extensive network. The, the world itself, America itself, is so much bigger than it's easy for any of us to, to process. And the way that the dollar travels through the economy uh, is is just so much broader than I think most of us, even very successful people or people in metropolitan or cosmopolitan areas can really realize. And yeah, if that attention comes to the hobby, look at the makeup industry. You have a billionaire in Kendall Jenner or Kylie Jenner, I don't even know. And I know that there's stuff about that too with the accounting and all that, but you know, became a billionaire overnight in the cosmetics industry. There's so many people out there that are spending money on things that are not sports cards still that easily could. And we're just talking about the US. Start bringing <laughs> China into the equation, Europe with soccer oh, absolutely. Um, and basketball. It's um, it, it really is, it's a great statement, Justin, and I'm sorry I'm latching onto it, but it's just, it's it's something that I have I've learned as I've gotten further and further into business is, yeah, really, the world is huge and we just don't realize it until we really embrace it. One of the things I've been so intrigued by is this concept of fractional share investing and knowing that it started with things way different, you know, cars, wines, art, and to know that this aspect of the industry is really in its infancy and right now, the ROI on sports cards and memorabilia in that market is just dwarfs everything else. It's just a really interesting look at, you know, luxury goods and, you know, the rich get richer and where people put their money. It's just very fascinating to me and to just kind of watch it and enjoy the ride. But uh, so, yeah, if you guys want to talk more about any of these things, uh, you know, hit us up on social media. We be more than happy to always discuss but uh we still have a you know yeah, rob sorry i i know we've still got a whole show but you just it dawned on me something else so this was the original bubble was the opposite of that it was people didn't realize how big the world was and they thought that 1987 mark mcguire's were scarce and then ebay showed us no you can have availability to anything out there yep but now eBay's showing us, wait, everybody does want this, and everybody is a lot of people. Everybody is a lot. So it's kind of an interesting cycle if you think of it in that. Man, everybody, thank you for uh, jumping in with your opinions. Uh, this this swelled um, and has jumped up to over 402 votes, but 417 votes, excuse me. But with that has also the percentage for Michael Jordan. 62.6%. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, thank you to all who weighed in and participated. Uh, we love you guys. All right. Let's shift gears and take a look at Hot in the Shop. When I put this together, there were six products on this list. It's been pared down to four because two got pushed back, including Bowman Chrome and the captain, Derek Jeter transcendent um they got pushed back uh to the 16th and the 18th of this of september respectively so we kick things off with 
You heard DJ mention it, Mosaic Football, which actually has three different configurations this year. Visit gogts.net to learn more about no huddle and choice. But we're going to talk about the traditional hobby skew, which delivers two autograph cards, five silver parallels, plus 15 mosaic parallels, and 20 inserts in every box. Mosaic Football makes its debut in 2020 and is loaded with parallels, inserts, and autographs of all the best rookies, current stars, and retired legends the NFL has to offer. There's a deep parallel index attached to the sell sheet, which is posted on GoGTS.net as well. Those two autograph cards, well, they're exclusive to hobby boxes with sets like autograph mosaics. Not that autographs are exclusive, but these are some of the exclusive autographs, if that made any sense. Autograph mosaics and rookie autographs mosaic come for SSP gold and black parallels as well. Fun inserts, montage, pro bowl, stained glass, overdrive, center stage. Center stage is a hobby exclusive. And stained glass absolutely beautiful this has a 300 card base set of all the top stars and retired nfl legends and then base rookies from the 2020 nfl draft along with a plethora of limited parallels so you're going to be chasing top rookies like joe burrow chase young tua deandre swift and more when this releases next week Rob, also releasing this week, a hockey product for 2020-21. Nice. Opeachy NHL hockey cards. Uh, you know, one of two very popular base sort of sets for hockey. Um, obviously, Upper Deck Series 1 has its own place as well. But, man, Opeachy has a warm place in the heart of many hockey collectors. This is great if you love building a set. Check it out. A robust 600-card base set. Now let's do some quick math. Each box has 18 packs with 10 cards. We know typically we see at least one insert per pack, so that means that you're going to need to buy at least half a case if you want to build the set yourself. Highly recommend doing so. Um, that said, each box is going to have 10 retro variation cards as well as 9 parallels and one rare chase card per box. And check that out. Marquee rookies this year some of the top rookie names available in this set, um, as well as the Opeachy Premier Tall Boys. Look at that, sort of a, a new uh, new twist in there, throwback to the old days. And then Opeachy Playing Cards as well. And you can look for some very rare inserts such as Hall of Fame patches, retro variation black border parallels, um, and some, uh, what else do we have for additional rare? Oh, the number one draft pick puzzle bounty insert. So look at this. You got to collect uh, the nine card puzzle set. And then those who do so will be highly uh, rewarded with highly sought after bounty prize cards of the number one pick in the 2020 NHL draft. And there are hot boxes and super boxes. So keep an eye out for those. If you want more details on those, go to gogts.net. Fun. Uh, let's look at an entertainment product that is always a huge hit with collectors uh, on the comic book and trading card side of the hobby. Upper Deck Marvel Masterpieces. This year's version features the artwork of the one and only Dave Palumbo. 
every box is going to deliver an original sketch card, one canvas gallery card, one battle spectra card, plus a hollow foil design and preliminary art variant card in every box. All new original artwork by award-winning fantasy artist Dave Palumbo. Literally years were spent researching, gathering references, and planning compositions to create the 135 oil paintings published in the iconic Marvel trading card set that is Marvel Masterpieces. Acclaimed illustrator Dave Palumbo is known for his dark, atmospheric style. He's had a lot of artwork published in prestigious uh, video games, comics, magazines, books, uh, traditional games. His fine art paintings are also shown in galleries worldwide. Palumbo has a personal connection with Marvel Masterpieces as well. Check this out. His mother, Julie Bell, and stepfather, Boris Vallejo, created artwork for the original 1996 Marvel Masterpieces set. <laughs> so, look for original paintings and original preliminary artwork from Dave randomly placed as redemptions in the product. Wow! Talk about a rare chance to own a one-of-one -one piece of comic art and trading card uh -oh. history. Uh, the beloved preliminary art variants return, so you can see Dave's progress going from one piece uh, stage of art to another on the same piece of artwork. All new metal urgy metal cards. Fun stuff. This is going to be great. Look for case hits, uh, including Dave Palumbo autograph parallel cards, Mirage lenticular cards, and several different chase hits, including uncut sheets, red spectrum foil base set parallels, and much more in Marvel Masterpieces. Rob, we've got one more exciting product this week, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask TriStar real real quick. Hit me up before you name a product next time because I, Signature Series Live is fine. I don't know what it means though. This is like Signature Series Buffet because this it has means all products are live in the product. Okay, okay. Well, I guess that I guess that matters. Except that's not true. There are very limited redemptions. But again, you want redemptions. That's the funny thing about these types of products. You want redemptions because you want a yeah, full size. I want something that doesn't fit the it. box, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I want the Chevy Chase autographed Caddyshack framed poster, especially with how hard it is to get an authentic Chevy Chase autograph these days. Um, all that to say, this is a buffet of incredible sports, entertainment, uh, television, film, music, pop culture items. Um, you know, you can see the sell sheet is super small there. So again, go to gogts.net and, and pop it up because we don't have individual pictures for all these things. But I mean, Mickey Mantle, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, Zion Williamson, names you may not be as familiar hearing on this show, Eminem, Elton John, Kit Harrington, uh, Ben Crenshaw, Charlie Sheen, uh, Chevy Chase, as I mentioned, Pee Wee Reese, Joe Montana, Larry Bird, Stan Lee, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Garth Brooks. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Look for unique signed items such as posters, boxing gloves, bats, photographs, framed pieces, CDs, and albums. Again, if it doesn't fit in the box, you want it. But get this, only 80 total cases produced. A case has eight items. So there's 96 items if I'm doing my math, or no, uh, I'm not doing my math right. 
This is what calculators are for. There's 640 pieces. 640 items. But I must have just listed at least 25 names. That means a 3% chance. Right? At, yeah. Know, at the, I, I like where you're going 4 that. That chance. Makes sense. You know, and who knows how many of those are duplicates. So uh, I like when you can do that sort of math and sort of figure out what you're getting into. So look for this. If you are any sort of memorabilia collector, you're going to love watching breaks of that this week. And that's a look at what's going to be hot in the shop, hot at your favorite breaker, and hot at your favorite online retailer. Hot in the shop, look at next week's new product releases. All right, we are going to put Ivan to work uh, picking winners for tonight. But in the meantime, um, one of GTS's customers, uh, the well-known Jaspie Sports Cards and Collectibles in Hermosa Beach, California, owned and operated by father and son Mike and Nick Jasperson, found themselves the subjects of a extensive piece in the L.A. Times, including this video. Watch this, and we'll be back to announce the winners, and we have a very special programming announcement that you're not going to want to miss as well. We'll be back in a few minutes. And Lewis Thorpe for the Twins. Pink Velocity Autograph, rated rookie auto for... Daniel Miller and the Minnesota Twins. There you go, Dan. Sports card collecting is seeing a surge in interest during the coronavirus crisis, and one corner of the pastime is experiencing especially notable growth. Online breaking. Sometimes known as ripping, this relatively new hobby involves opening a pack, box, or case of cards on an internet broadcast and sharing the results on camera. Collectors buy into the break and get a distribution of the cards. Breaking has become a service offered by many sports card shops, though sometimes it's done by entrepreneurs working from home. Streaming videos of the action foster a sense of community for enthusiasts who cheer each other on in the chat room and interact with the person opening the packs of cards on screen, who's known as the breaker. Sometimes your spot in the break yields a card worth only pennies. Other times you hit it big, really big. At Jaspie's Case Breaks in Hermosa Beach, which runs online breaks seven days a week, a customer who bought into a break for about $60 last year wound up with a rookie card for NHL star Connor McDavid one that was autographed and contained a piece of his uniform. One of only 99 in existence. Possibly our biggest pull of all time. The card was sold by the customer at auction in June for about $135,000, making it the most expensive modern-day hockey card. For Jaspie's Case Breaks, it was the biggest win ever for one of its customers. We're here today at Jaspie's to learn more about the growing breaking subculture. For decades and decades, collecting was you collected the set. You got the numbers, you collected all 700 cards. Now there's very few products that are built to be collected by the set. It's all about the hits, the patch cards, the autographs, the rookies. A group break is when a number of people can join in on a single box or a, or a case of boxes that maybe they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford individually or on their own, or they're chasing a specific team. So let's say someone just wants to collect Dodgers stuff, right? They can join a baseball group break on our website, and um, they can just buy the Dodgers for like a fixed price. So then we unbox everything. Whatever the Dodgers cards that are pulled, if any, 
you know, and whatever autographs and parallels and whatnot, that all goes to that one person who bought the Dodgers. Rated rookie autograph Gavin Lux for Jorge and the Dodgers. A random team is just the, I guess, whatever the cost of the break or the case is, you divide it up by however many teams at, a, at an average price, and you just get a random team. So to participate in a case break at uh, Jaspies at casebreaks.com, you would buy into a break usually the day before, and that's what I'm going to do. 2020 Panini Donruss Optic Baseball, 12-box case break number six. So the way this break works is... You pick a team and you're assigned that team during the break. So if I were to choose the Dodgers, our hometown team, it would cost $99.99. 99 bucks is a little bit too rich for my blood just to get a feel for how this all works. So we're going to, maybe we'll go with the Minnesota Twins for $19.99. I can get into this break and any Minnesota Twins player, any card of theirs that's pulled, that's mine if I go that route. So the other break that I'm going to buy into is an NBA break. This is a five-box NBA warm-up basketball mixer with random teams. It looks like it costs 40 bucks to get into this break. So a little bit more money than the baseball break we're going to try out. 30 spots, everyone gets a random team in the NBA. All cards shipped to the customers. It's only been a few years now where the card companies have sort of embraced case breaking. Um, for some reason, they because they just couldn't understand it. But now it's probably 60% of their inventory they produce goes to case breakers. I kind of like think of it as like I get my own like sports talk radio show because you, you can talk sports with the uh, with the gang that's in the live chat, and then you can unbox cards and talk about the values of cards and talk about how well that player is doing in a certain game. Hi everyone, Joe for jazbeescasebreaks.com coming at you with Jaspie's 5-Box NBA Warm-Up Basketball Mixer. It's exciting. I'm not really a gambling man, but like I could see how you could get into this. It's a rush, you know, not knowing what you're going to get. Random team break. Going to chase some Lucas, some Zion, some Tatums. He's about to start a really long shift. I mean, they're going to be opening dozens and dozens and dozens of packs sorting through hundreds and hundreds of cards and it takes hours and they go well into the night and they break seven days a week this is you know a busy busy business let's roll it let's randomize it snake eyes two times each one and two easy easy Colin down to Colin there you go Let's paste that in there. Uh, snake eyes for the teams. One and two. So they've just ran randomized the order of the break, and I have been assigned the New York Knicks. So any Knicks players, they're going to me. Wow. Look at that. A 5 out of 15 Patrick Ewing Hall of Fame card. I don't think I've seen these light blue ones too often. They're only out of 15. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, business is definitely up. There was kind of already momentum, and then when the stay-at-home orders happened around the country, that kind of just, like, blew it up even more because everyone's at their house. You know, there's no sports going on. There's no sports betting going on, so a lot of people have, you know, money f tied up into that. Now they don't have that anymore. So we are about to do a case break of uh, Donner's baseball cards, and there are uh, 12 boxes in the case. 
Alex Kirilov, rated prospect. Tigger just pulled an Alex Kirilov card. Now, Alex Kirilov is not a name brand player. He's actually a prospect, and this is a lot of what card collecting is about these days. It's about prospects. Players who maybe haven't had much success in the majors yet, but the hope is they one day will. So I just looked it up, and Alex Kirilov is the number two prospect in the Twins organization. Uh, so if he has a great year, maybe not even this year, but years from now, that card could be worth some money. Sports fans like that rush. So if you're a collector and you're collecting cards, you're a sports fan. I mean, the two go together. Um, so it's that rush of the big hit. It's the people like to be on the list. They like to have their name called. They chat. Maybe they're you know in Idaho or Montana or Tokyo, and they don't have anybody to talk to about the hobby. So they come in and 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 that's their entertainment. So at the end of the day, I participated in two breaks and got a bunch of cards, including some pretty interesting ones. Patrick Ewing, one of only 15, an autograph, uh, Twins, baseball player, prospect. I could totally see how this becomes addicting. I understand the excitement and the adrenaline rush when you hit on a card. And uh, yeah, I get it. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. So a, a very big congratulations to Mike and Nick Jasperson. Uh, two really nice guys in the hobby, and uh, they have a very, a great father-son relationship, and uh, I couldn't be more proud of them and happy for them uh, as someone who works with GTS and has partnered with them on several things. So congratulations. Yeah. I know you had a firsthand experience being at the new store, Ivan, so they're just running on all cylinders right now, as they say. Yep. No, it couldn't happen to better people. Um, gosh, it'd be fun to get Mike back on for an interview because he told me some stories off the cuff when I was in there last time. Just like how much fun we had digging into hobby history with DJ. Uh -huh. Mike's got a ton cool. of it. Um, so, yeah, well, well, let's slate that up for sometime soon. But congrats, guys. Love the publicity for your shop and for the hobby. Very, very absolutely. Cool. All right. I mentioned subscribe to us on Twitch. You want to tell them why, yeah, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every once in a while, we like to give back to our Twitch subscribers with exclusive box breaks just for them. So next week, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we'll be doing a live break. You, as a Twitch subscriber, you don't need to be present to win. You'll still be eligible. But check it out. What we're going to be breaking, 2019-20 Donross Optic NBA Basketball. Current market price, between eight and $900. But wait, the fun doesn't stop there. If you are a subscriber and you download our mobile app, Simply take a screenshot of it saying installed and you email it to the show along with your Twitch handle. You'll get a second entry into the break. Okay. So um, be sure to tune into that if you're interested. If not, you and you win, you'll be notified accordingly. But I wanted to thank DJ Kazmerzak 
for joining us. Uh, it was some great stuff. Thanks to Ivan for hooking up that interview um, based on some conversations he was having with DJ on Twitter. Uh, thank you to Tracy Hackler for providing product for tonight. Emily Kless for putting some pressure internally on people at Tops to start sending us product again. It was nice to see a Tops product. And uh, for James Gale behind the scene, making us look good, handling all the tech stuff. Uh, weekend we uh, with ease, yeah, with ease. And uh, wow, it was great. Tonight. It's uh, it's always good to have him part of the team, even though you don't see him. And to my partner in crime over there, Ivan Lovegren. Look forward to this each and every week, my friend. It was another fun one. Uh, so for everybody behind the scenes, I'm Rob Bertrand. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Go GTS Live, the Hobbies Web Show. In the meantime, you know what to be doing. Always be collecting. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Labor Day, and we'll see you next week. Good night.